0: The following is a special presentation of the Mars Attacks podcast, member of Talking Metal Digital... Hey, metalheads and Hector This is Dolo Passion. You're listening to Victor here on Mars Attacks Radio. I wish you a great time. Rock on and keep metal alive. Hi, this is Udo Burtada of UDO, and you're listening to Mars
1: Attacks. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Don Jameson from That Metal Show on DH one Classic, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Crank it. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, this is Dave Windorp from Monster Magnet, and you are listening to Mars Attacks. Hi, this is Robert Flushman, and you're listening to Mars Attacks with Victor.
2: Hello, my name is Blaze Bailey. You're listening to
1: Mars Attacks Radio. Yeah, this is John Schaefer from Iced Earth, and you're listening to Mars Attacks.
2: What's up? This is Morgan from Kitty, and you're listening to Mars Attacks.
3: Welcome, and all, to another episode of Mars Attacks. Once again, we travel back in time during this episode. We have a special guest that will join us tonight for Volume 3 of Decades for the year 2015. And the person joining me this time around is none other than the Famous or infamous, depending on how you want to look at it. Uh, Rock from Radioactive Metal. Rock, how are you? <laughs>
4: I'm great. How are you?
3: I'm doing well. It's great to uh, catch up with you once again. It's always yes. fun to talk to um, any of my old uh, cast iron ring brethren, and um, it's just neat just to be able to talk about, you know, music that we love. And uh hopefully you know the, the the whole idea here is to uh you know turn people onto some cool stuff or have people revisit stuff that uh maybe they forgot about way back when. For those of you listening to the decade series for the first time basically we start out with a track that came out this year In 2015, and then we jump back 10 years at a time to 2005, 95, 85, and 75, and we pretty much discuss various things that came up and happened uh, during each one of those years. Uh, One of the reasons why I did want to bring Rock onto the show, and it was one of the things that he was sort of hesitant to come on to discuss, was sort of the heavier side or the more extreme side of a lot of these years, because radioactive metal does delve into... Extreme metal a lot more than the two previous hosts that we have had on these episodes, and uh, it's just cool to have a rock's perspective and just you know his side of things when it comes to uh, these various years. So I've tried to rise to the challenge, so my <laughs> picks be on the heavier side as well. <laughs>
4: okay, good, good, yeah, and I hope uh, people will uh, will uh, will uh, keep listening and not just say uh, I'm not into extreme metal. I'm just gonna move on to the next next episode or whatever because, you know, I tried to pick stuff that was somewhat more, somewhat accessible. I didn't go super duper right. underground, but, you know, uh, hopefully uh, people will will like what they hear and maybe get turned on to something new.
3: I think the majority of the things that we're going to be playing uh, people are going to dig. I mean, the the majority of the audience that I have I think are, are very uh, open-minded because you'll get comments about things that I would think that people would hate maybe being either too heavy or the opposite side maybe being too glammy to an extent. Mm-hmm. And you get the same people commenting on both things, saying that they love both sides of things. So um, so who knows? I, I think that there's definitely a lot of stuff that uh, people will like.
4: Good, good, good. Uh, let's get into it.
3: Let's get into it. Well, Rock was um, gracious enough. To pick a song for 2015, he's the first person to come on the series to do so, and it's actually a really cool cover by Adrenaline Mob, mm-hmm. an old Charlie Daniels standard, which I've heard covered a bunch of times. But I think I really think that Mike Orlando really takes this to a different place with his playing. With his, um, he, he's the guitarist of Adrenaline Mob, and he's one of the principal. Songwriters, and I think it's cool what he does to mimic the fiddle and everything else. Uh, so I think it really brings another side to this song out. Um, why did you want to go with this song?
4: Well, first of all, I mean, as as we're speaking, it's still very early in the year, so right. there's not a whole lot of stuff that's out yet. <laughs> so it was, uh, you know, it was kind of kind of hard to pick something. But I, you know, I we got this as a digital promo at Radioactive Metal and i was like wow I, I and i love the original of this song you know right. i've always loved it since i was a kid you know so when i heard this one i was like that's my pick victor's got to play this one <laughs> <laughs> i just love the song i've always loved it you know i love the story and i love you know the the fiddle of gold and all all that stuff it's so awesome it's it's great
3: it's awesome it's almost like um Like if Ronnie James Dio had written something in country, you know? Mm
4: -hmm. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Because, you know, it's kind of one of the heavier songs that uh, Charlie Daniels does, you know, if you think about it, you know.
3: And, I mean, for the general public, it's probably his most well-known song. I remember back in the day, similar when I was a kid, this song was on the radio Mm -hmm. constantly. Mm
4: -hmm. Even though it's got the, you know, the fiddle and and you know it's got the uh, the country twang going i mean it, there's a reason why heavy metal bands cover it you know because yeah. it's very close to metal so absolutely
3: so let's check this out this is adrenaline mobs version of the devil went down to georgia
0: sold to steel he was in a bind cause he was way behind and he was willing to make a deal when he came across this young man saw on a fiddle and playing it hot and the devil jumped up on a hickory stub and said boy let me tell you what I guess you didn't know it but I'm a fiddle player too and if you care to take a dare I'll make a bet with you now you play a pretty good fiddle boy but give the devil his due I better fiddle up gold against your soul cause I think I'm better than you I said, my name's Johnny, and it might be a sin, but I'll take your bet, and you're going to regret, because I'm the best there's ever been. Johnny you're riding up your fall and play your fiddle hard, because hell's the lose in Georgia, and the devil deals with cards. And if you win, you get this shiny fiddle made of gold, but if you lose, the devil gets your soul. His case And he said I'll start the show And fire flew from his fingertips as he rising up his bow And he pulled the bow across the strings and it made an evil hiss And a band of demons joined in and sounded something like this I know, John. No, I ah, play it, boys. Little well, devil bowed his head because he knew that he'd been beaten, and he laid that golden fiddle on the ground at Johnny's feet. Devil, just come on back if you ever want to try again. I done told you once, you son of a bitch. I'm the best there's ever been. Fire in the mountain, run, boys, run. Devil's in the house of the rising sun. Chicken in the bread, bread pan, making out, no. I hey, ain't actually talking about no child, no. Ah, play it, boys.
2: So there we have it, a little
3: Adrenaline Mob off of the Dearly Departed EP. I think it's cool that Adrenaline Mob is doing these cover albums. I mean, I always remember going to the record store and um, checking out, especially with Maiden, to see what B-sides they were releasing and who they were covering and whatnot. And it's almost like a a lost art, the B-side or or the cover, where these bands are putting these cool covers together and they're making them their own.
4: Definitely, uh, I, I love covers, um, but I like covers are done by a actual band, uh, and we've discussed this before on Radioactive Metal. Where I don't like uh, like a tribute CD that comes out, and I'll give you an example, like the Ronnie James Dio CD that came out. There's a lot of there's a lot of songs on there that are done by it, they just grab okay this guy from this band, this guy from this other band, and this guy from this other band, and then they play the song. <laughs> to me, there's nothing special about that. You know, but when Metallica did the Ronnie Rising medley, that was awesome to me. You know, because it's a it's it's an actual band. You know, they're doing the uh, the cover. So, but yeah, I love covers when they're bands and not just a mishmash of, you know, whoever.
3: That's an interesting point because I think with that album, you can definitely tell that the the tracks that were recorded by bands rise to the top. To me the the songs that I always go to off of that album are the Anthrax cover, mm-hmm. the Hailstorm cover, the Metallica cover, and even the digital bonus track which is the Jamie josta cover, um which is him with his solo band. I think to me those are the four tracks that I played off of that the most. Yeah, definitely.
4: Definitely. You know, a band has has chemistry, like it or not. You know, they have chemistry and that's why it sounds better.
2: Yeah.
3: Um we were just discussing these last few weeks sort of off air you're you're putting together a great series called um, album autopsy yes uh, tell us a little bit about album autopsy and and what else you're up to with uh, radioactive metal
4: well album autopsy uh, it's it's a little bit inspired by you actually <laughs> uh, you know basically what we do is we we, we pick an album that we uh, one of us likes and then we try and get into contact with with the band, or if it's a solo artist, with that artist, and we we take the album apart. That's why it's an autopsy. And what we do is we ask we 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 ask the uh, you know, the band. Let's say, uh, well, for example, the first episode we did was with uh, Trouble, Trouble's Psalm Nine. So I contacted the, the the vocalist Eric Wagner, the drummer Jeff Olson, and producer Bill Metoyer, and then we we talk about. You know how they got their 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 record deal, how did Bill get involved? Uh, what studio they recorded at uh, you know their journey to get to the studio you know because you know trouble had a crash, a car crash on the way to the studio from Illinois to California. you know we talk about all that stuff that 's around the creation of the album. And, and once we're done with that, then we talk about each track and we kind of take it apart, talk about the lyrics and, and stuff like that. And then if we have time, we talk about the promotion of the album later and if they've done videos and, and, and all that that kind of stuff. So and it's 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 pretty popular. People are really digging. Uh, we've only released one so far. People dug it. But we've got uh, we've got some with uh, Exciter coming. The, the album Long Live the Loud. We've got Crowbar, uh, the, their self-titled album with uh, Kirk Winstein. Mm-hmm. And uh right now I'm actually working on Dangerous Toys uh, their their debut album and we've got other Irons in the Fire right now and you know trying to line up some people for other albums. So, you know, it's it's actually really fun to do, it's a lot of work, but man, it's fun yep. to do.
3: Awesome. And if people want to check that out, where should they go to find not only that but anything related to Radioactive Metal? Uh,
4: you can go to our website at radioactivemetal.org. And uh, we're also on Spreaker and you know Stitcher and TuneIn, Um, but we're also syndicated. We're on the uh, Internet Radio, quote unquote, on PureRockRadio.net, and then uh, the show airs every Thursday night at 10 p.m. Eastern. And if uh, if you miss it, you know you you can't listen to it live. The very next day, it goes into our podcast format on our website and on iTunes and and everywhere. So if you if you miss the live uh, the live airing, you know you. You can catch it after that forever, anytime you want.
3: Awesome. So let's jump into 2005 here. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let's sort of do this in a reverse order to what we've done with the previous episodes. Let's talk about some of the bands that have gotten together, some of the bands that reformed first, and see what came out of the um, extreme underworld,
4: per se. (laughs) Well, I mean, uh, I don't know if this is super extreme, but th- this was the first year of Gigantour.
2: Ah, yeah. You know,
4: with uh, Megadeth. I don't remember who was. I, my research didn't go that far, but I don't know who was on the first edition of G- Gigantour. But, you know. We actually,
3: the, the DVDs for that. So it's actually Dream Theater, it's Fear Factory, uh, Boba Flex, and, uh, wow, Dry Kill Logic. Okay. And there may be another band that I'm missing somewhere
4: in there. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. So, so there, that's one thing that happened that year. Um, another thing, well, two sad things that happened. Uh, David Wayne, the original vocalist of Metal Church, passed away that year, and from a car accident. And uh, Piggy, the guitarist for uh, Voivod, also passed away from colon cancer. Right. So you know, and and you know, Metal Church is. Not extreme in any stretch of the word, but they're one of my all-time favorite bands. So I was very sad when I heard that. And Piggy, I'm not a huge fan of Voivod, but he's so influential in his guitar playing. You know, he, it, it was a huge loss, you know, for heavy metal in general.
3: Right. Also, a band that I'm sure back home for you has a lot of pull as well because they're from the general area, correct? Yeah,
4: they're from uh, they were from uh, Jonquière, which is uh, near Montreal. Because I'm originally from Montreal, if people haven't heard from my accent, you know I'm French Canadian, <laughs> living in Florida now. But <laughs> so yeah, so Voivod is you know super popular up there, and uh, yeah, so it was it was a big deal when he passed away.
3: So so do you have a PK Subban uh, jersey on or no go- <laughs> <Other> than-
4: <laughs> No, I you know I living in Florida, I don't get to follow hockey that much anymore. Uh, right. I've been down here for gosh 12 years now, and this year actually is the first year where I've really been able to, to pay more attention. And, uh, yeah, the Habs, man. Go Habs, go. Having a good year this year.
3: <laughs> awesome. Um, let, let's let see what else. And, and I, I will say that I try my best to keep up. I have the NHL Center Rice Package. And the the usual bit is watching the first period and slowly falling asleep to the games.
4: So. Yeah, because uh, it's probably pretty late for you by the time they come on, right?
3: 1 a.m. Yeah. Oh gosh. So, so you could imagine last year during the Kings, um, in the the finals, uh, some of these games were starting up at what nine nine Eastern. Mm-hmm. So it's like uh, three a.m. my
4: time. Oh my so. goodness. <laughs> you're a be- you're a better man than I am.
3: And a few years back when they went to, I forget how many overtimes at the Capitals, I was up to like 7 a.m. watching
4: the game. Oh, yeah, so. yeah, yeah. That was that like five overtimes or something like that? Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, That's crazy. So
3: 2005, we had bands such as uh, Ripper Owens' Beyond Fear get together. Mm-hmm. We had Ishan, which we touched upon with Scott from Focus on Metal. Uh, we also had In This Moment and... Five Finger Death Punch. Correct, yes. Get together. Bands that got back together, again at the time, was Alice in Chains, uh, Anthrax, which with their original lineup, or not their original lineup, but their classic lineup per se, the Among the Living and Spreading the Disease lineup and Mm -hmm. so on. And um, it actually says that Emperor reformed at that point in time. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't Ishan come from Emperor?
4: Ooh, OK, Emperor is one of those bands that I have never followed, <laughs> you know, of, of course, you know, uh, there's so much in the extreme world that, you know, it would like like uh, Snowy and I like to say on the show, you can't get you can't be into everything, you know. So but I believe so. I believe he comes from Emperor. Yes. OK, yes. But, uh, you know, there was uh, several uh, good extreme albums that came out You know, this year, too. In 2005, um, I don't know if you're f- familiar with uh, Aborted, out of Belgium. I am not actually. Uh, it's not. It's a band, but not really because it's the the vocalist is the only constant in the whole thing since the band started, and it's like a revolving door of musicians. But that's how he wants it. So, but it's a very good extreme uh, extreme uh, death metal band uh, out of Belgium. Uh, the Black Dahlia Murder put out uh, Miasma. That year, also, I don't. You, you're probably a little bit more familiar with them. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Candlemass put out uh, their self-titled album. Even though C- Candlemass have been around since 1988, you know, in 2005 they put out those, their self-titled. You know, and uh, they but it marked the return of their original, well, not the original vocals the second vocalist, the one that's the most known from their classic lineup, uh, Messiah Mark Holden. Uh, that that's when he made his return, and that was a big deal. Because uh, people have been clamoring for him. He's got such a big personality. Uh, if you ever get a chance to watch old uh, video clips from uh, uh, Candlemas, whether it's live or, or they're, they're from the albums, he's he's got this big, huge afro. You know, this big, white dude with a huge afro. And he dresses with, uh, like, a, a monk's uh, – he's got a monk's uh, – thing on him and it, it's hilarious it's hilarious to watch him <laughs> but he's such a great vocalist so um also that year uh, exodus shovel-headed kill machine yeah uh, first album with rob dukes uh yeah i know you've mentioned in other episodes also judas priest angel of retribution that came out which was awesome and uh another favorite band of mine uh, nile uh you know Egypt, egyptian death metal from uh, south carolina <laughs> <laughs> their album Annihilation of the Wicked came out and that, that was another killer re- release Nile is so technical in the way they play it's it makes my head spin when they when they play live I've seen them a couple times and my god it's technical but it's so good so good now are you are you familiar at all with Nile I'm familiar
3: with who they are and a few songs here and there, but I can't say that I have the knowledge that you do towards their music. Mm-hmm.
4: The, the, the thing, you know, I, I love Nile. Their albums are some of the best that I have in my collection. But live, it can be a little difficult to listen to because there's so much going on that if you... I know the songs inside out, and sometimes I, I, I would get lost. <laughs> you, know, watch, are, you watch the band play, and you're like, what part are they playing? What? And then, and then you, 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 your, your mind would grab onto a parts okay okay now I know where they're at you know it's just so intense and so fast that whew, you you just get get lost It's so you know because they play extremely loud of course you know so but a uh, great band to see live if you get a chance to see them uh, just for the technical prowess just to watch and play the drummer um, what's his name George Coleus, uh one of the top death metal drummers uh, in the world right now the guy's so fast it's not even funny. So, I know you're a drummer, so you may want to check out the last few albums uh, by Niall. It's going to blow your head. Your head's going to blow up.
3: <laughs> <laughs> there are a few other extreme uh, releases per se. Well, depending on what your definition of extreme is, you had Creator with Enemy of God. Mm-hmm. You had Opeth with um, uh, Ghost Revelries. You had Overkill with Revelix 4. And I mean, I don't know, uh, strapping young lad. Would you consider that extreme? I, I mean,
4: I yeah, somewhat.
3: Yeah, yeah, the, the,
4: yeah. <laughs> they're hard to they're hard to uh, to pin down.
3: Yeah, because they they've got a few different things going on. Mm. Uh, their album Alien came out. You had Soil Work with Stabbing the Drama and a great great album uh, by them. You had Soulfly with Dark Ages, a, a band that you know. Soulfly to me it's it's either i really love the albums that they put out or or i just can't stomach it i, I just don't know there's no in between for me with them
4: yeah i, I never got into them um for me max Cavalera, the the vocalist and guitar player he right. th- to me he he belongs in sepultura you know so when he left sepultura and started doing you know, soulfly and Cavalera conspiracy and he did nail bomb and all that stuff uh, I just was not into it. So Snowy's a huge fan. He loves So Fly. It's one of his favorite bands. You know, I I just I don't care for them at all. Sadly.
3: No no problem at all.
4: <laughs> I'm very uh, you know my opinions. I'm very harsh sometimes.
3: <laughs> no that that's fine. I, I think Dark Ages. I don't remember if it's the first album with Mark Rizzo, but I I know that until he came into the fold, they had lost me for for a few albums there. Mm. So uh, I, I do enjoy Sepultura without him, though. I do like what Derek Green has done with the band. And um, honestly, I think because their music is maybe a little heavier, a little less new um, I think I gravitate more towards Sepultura with Derek Green than I do Soulfly with Max.
4: Yeah, see. It's opposite for me because it was more extreme when Max was there. So I, I like it better from those days. Oh, I,
3: I don't disagree with that. I'm just <laughs> saying... With the current lineups, mm-hmm. I, I think that Sepultura has still maintained a certain amount of heaviness, um, whereas with Soulfly, I think he's delved too much into uh, s- some trendiness to an extent. And it's funny that um, that with the metal crowd, there are some people that get crucified over and over again. For example, Machine Head for The Burning Red. Mm-hmm but yet Max seems to always get a pass for Soulfly. I don't know. I just don't get that.
4: Yeah, but if you see him live, 75% of the material is uh, sepultura,
3: His roots.
4: (laughs) Yeah, 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 exactly. So, yeah, he he likes to put out new music, but he doesn't play that much of it live.
3: Yeah. All right, so let's jump into your pick for 2005. Uh, You sort of touched upon them already, Mm -hmm. and... Uh, this is going to be Candlemas off of their self-titled album. Um, why does this album stick out to you over some of the other albums that have come out this year?
4: Well, uh, I'm, I'm a huge doom metal fan, and Candlemas, they're, they're regarded as one of the top doom bands ever. Their uh, their debut album in eight, 88 or 89, Epicus, Dümicus Metallicus, is, is an all-time classic, you know, so – when, when Messiah Marcolin came back in 2005, like I said earlier, it was a big deal that he came back. So I kind of wanted to highlight that a little bit uh, with, with, with a song off that album. You know, um, you want me to introduce the song?
3: Sure, go ahead. Okay,
4: so from uh, their self-titled uh, uh, album from 2005, here's Candlemas with Assassin of the Light.
3: You had a little candle mass with Assassin of the Light. That was Rock's pick. Uh, I actually got to see them a few years later. I believe it was in 09 or, or 2010, maybe even.
4: A lucky bastard.
3: And and I know that he was no longer the front man because it was... Um,
4: Rob Lowe. Yeah, if, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, Rob Lowe, I believe, was uh, in the band at that point. Not not the actor. <laughs>
3: <laughs> guy from texas right
4: i believe so yes
3: yeah the rest of the band is british but he's from texas
4: actually i think they're from sweden are they from sweden Sweden or finland the, the, one of those scandinavian uh, countries yeah yeah and he's he was the only american in the band
3: so i knew it was something like that but mm-hmm. got my countries mixed
4: up excuse me oh that's okay <laughs> i'm not even sure myself where they're from i just know i love them <laughs>
3: Well, my pick, Rock doesn't know what my picks are. I know what he's picked, but here's a band that I think a lot of people um, have a take-it-or-leave-it attitude with them. I know early on, like a bunch of other bands that released albums this year, I I touched upon in a previous episode of of this series, I discussed Avenged Sevenfold a little and discussed how a lot of people really like their earlier stuff, but once... 2005 rolled around and they released City of Evil. A lot of people were turned off because you didn't have as much guttural singing involved. Um, This band sort of has the same sort of um, stigma attached to them, per se. Um, They're down from your neck of the woods, actually. Okay. And um, I've always loved this song. Uh, My hardest part is keeping a straight face, per se, when pronouncing the name of the album because it always reminds me of an old job that I had, and we always used to talk like, um, if you've ever watched South Park, we always would talk like Wendy, like Stan's sister with the braces. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And, um, the name of this album is Ascendancy, so it would be easy to pronounce it like she does with the braces. But anyway, the band is Trivium. The name of the track is Pull Harder on the Strings of Your Martyr. Had a little Trivium there. Rock, what's your opinion on Trivium?
4: Love, 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 love their their demo that they did back in the day. Uh, Mm -hmm. I was uh, fortunate enough to find a copy of it here in a little store, a little local store, uh, before they made it big. And I love their first album, um, Amber to Inferno. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, But after that, I kind of got out of it. But yeah, they're from here, from Orlando, Florida. Um, they don't play here a lot. <laughs> they barely <laughs> play here, man. They never play here. Um, I I got lucky. I saw them when they were, <clears throat> excuse me, they were touring for their their, their first album, Ember In to Inferno. Uh, they were opening for uh, God forbid, and okay. uh, the 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 opening band for Trivium and God forbid was All That Remains okay no oh yeah, and, and there was nobody there <laughs> It was at a very small club that holds about a hundred people there was probably fifteen twenty of us in there, and the the only the only reason why there was that many people is was, was mostly Trivium's family that was there <laughs> <laughs> no wow. but they, they were great man that's the first time I had- he- even heard of them and um loved it i i mean in concert they're great they're 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 great but um, i'm not I'm not huge into what they're doing it's you know, I'm sorry to say, it's too much singing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I I don't like bands that don't can't make up their mind. I either you sing or you growl. You, you, when they do both, I have a really hard time with that. It has to be done very well for me to l- actually like it.
3: There you go the 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 rock stamp of approval. You have to go one way or the other. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I actually got to see them on that same festival with Candlemas and actually. God Forbid was on that same bill as well. Two different days, but uh, all three of those bands played.
4: I've seen God Forbid uh, many times down here. They used to come down here all the time, and uh, I've seen them a lot. But uh, yeah, Trivium I've only seen uh, once in that club. That's the only time I've seen them.
3: Awesome. Let's move on down to 1995. And as I always like to say when we get to this portion of the show, so many people – like to tell me how metal in the '90s sucked, but I always, man, I I can't help but saying, man, you missed out on so many great releases. Yeah, and '95 is one of those years, man. No matter what type of hard rock or metal you were into, there was something for for everyone.
4: Yeah, it was one of those years where, you know, it then the 90s you know there was a lot of new metal but there was a lot of new stuff kind of really really you know starting to come out of the underground and uh you know there's oh gosh there's so many great examples of that stuff um let me give you some some album examples of, of of the underground stuff that was coming out at the gates slaughter of the soul that that album is considered like the top the template for swedish death metal that so many right. bands play now you know that came out in 95 uh carcass put out their last album at the time because they they had this actually disbanded by that point but carcass had put out swan song which was not really extreme but it was uh, kind of kind of a heavy metal heavy metal but closer to extreme more than just being a heavy metal there was still some growling but not a whole lot um death put out one of their classic albums symbolic you know, Death From Here in Orlando, uh, they put that out. Uh, Fear Factory, I've, you've mentioned it in a, a other episode, The Manufacturer came out. That, that's my all-time favorite Fear Factory album. You know, um, what else? Uh, well, it's not really extreme, but Down put out their, their classic album, NOLA, yeah. you know, uh, which you've talked about too. And yeah. another uh, doom metal band that I like a lot, the Cathedral put out their album, The Carnival Bazaar. Which had, uh, I guess, you could call it their hit, quote unquote, uh, the song uh, Hopkins was uh, was on that album. If you uh, if you ever want to check out Cathedral, check out the song Hopkins. Uh, look, look the video for off the Carnival Bazaar. It's it's great stuff. It, it's at that point Cathedral was more of a stoner band. They weren't really Doom anymore, but uh, right. it's still still great stuff, man. Great stuff.
3: Yeah, and let's see some other sort of. On the more extreme side, releases that came out this year, you had Grip Inc. with The Power of Inner Strength. You had In Flames with Subterranean, which was still – which is probably their heaviest release Mm. that they've ever put out. Definitely a lot heavier than what they've been putting out these last few Mm -hmm. albums. Um, You had King Diamond with Spider's Lullaby, Creator with um, Cause for Conflict. You had Mashuga with Destroy, Erase, Improve. Nevermore with their self-titled album Nevermore. Mm-hmm. Opeth released uh, Orchid. Paradise Lost with Draconian Times.
4: Oh, I, forgot, I forgot about that one. <laughs> That's, See that? Uh, I, the, the Paradise Lost, Draconian Times. I forgot about that one. That was a great one.
3: Yeah. It was probably their biggest album because, I mean, they've um, – I guess it was two years ago perhaps at this point – where they did a a tour where they revisited that album. That was definitely Mm -hmm. one of their watershed moments there. Um, You had St. Vitus with Die Healing, and another Strapping Young Lad album with Heavy as Really Heavy Thing. Um, Trouble with Plastic Greenhead, which was their second release on American, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. And um, bands that got together. On the heavier side, well, you have... Uh, Shadows Fall and Slipknot definitely are the two that really stick out uh, that I have on my list here. Bands that disbanded, uh, St. Vitus put out an album, and St. Vitus disbanded <laughs> afterward yeah. as well. Yeah. So, um, let's see. So for 1995, this is th- what you picked is one of my all-time favorite albums and bands. Um Fear Factory to me is the band that – or one of the bands that definitely in the 90s really grabbed a hold of me and sort of propelled me forward into getting into heavier music. And definitely um, whenever this discussion comes up or whenever originality in metal comes up, I I honestly think that Fear Factory is one of the last – Original bands to come out and offer something that other bands weren't doing. Yes, you can say that. You know, they have influences of Godflesh or maybe um, you know some Ministry with the um, electronics and this and that. But Fear Factory really made it their own, and so many other bands have come out and done what they've done afterwards. I mean, if if you really listen to the combination of Raymond. Herrera and um, and Dino um, at that time I mean the just syncopated machine gun playing that they had you know tied in with the double bass and with Dino's guitar playing for that time I mean they were the band that really brought that to the forefront yeah. that so many other bands are doing now I mean yeah there was not
4: a whole lot of that going on at the time they were they're definitely innovators when it comes to that stuff and that's why I gravitated to towards them so quickly and uh, that's why D-Manufacture is one of my all-time favorite albums, you know, off of any band, you know. Yeah.
3: I would have to agree. What do you want to hear off of D-Manufacture?
4: Hey, the title track, man. It's probably the best one on the album. <laughs> awesome.
3: Let's check out A Little Fear Factory with d Manufacture. Fear Factory. That band to me, the first thing that I ever heard of theirs, and this is funny because I worked at the time at a mall part time, and and there were these guys that always came around with uh, uh, with T-shirts for their first album, uh, mm-hmm. Souls for the New Machine, mm-hmm. and um, and it was weird because they looked like the guitarists from Sanctuary with really long blonde hair, and they always wore. The same t-shirts. So it wasn't bad enough that they had like the same hairdos. They they wore um, the Fear Factory t-shirts. They wore Black Sabbath's Dehumanizer t-shirts. They wore there – were, there were a few others that escaped my mind right now, but they always dressed alike. It was ridiculous. You'd see them and I would think, why?
4: <laughs> <laughs> That's funny.
3: <laughs> Just very weird. But uh, I remember back home. In New Jersey, WSOU is the big college station that breaks a lot of bands, uh, a lot of metal bands in the New York area. And I remember hearing Replica for the first time, Mm -hmm. and I thought, what the hell is this? I just couldn't get my head around it. And it was at a job that I had where my job was sweeping and picking up after a construction crew, basically. And I would turn SOU on, and it would come on every day and little by little, the song, just the song, the, 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 the guitar part, the, the intro to it, um, just started infecting my head mm-hmm. <laughs> basically to the point where I needed more. And I remember picking up the mortal Kombat soundtrack at that time and it had, um, zero signal on there. And it also had Burton singing with geezer Butler's band. Yeah. Uh, Had the song um, "Invisible," uh, was the name of the track, and I didn't realize it was the same guy. And then I found out, and I was like, "All right, well, all right, I need to get the Geezer album, and I need to get this Fear Factory album." So it was—I mean, it was something that the manufacturer, something that I just could not stop playing for the longest time.
4: Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. And for me, you know, I discovered them with the first album, "Soul of a New Machine," like you were saying earlier, and by the time. This album came out, which was the second album. Uh, My buddy, who I had discovered Fear Factory with, he's like, oh, they sold out. They sold out because it was because they they had too much keyboard on on the album compared to the first one. You know, so I was like, dude, you're stupid. This is great stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Good thing he didn't hear remanufacture first. Oh, he probably heard it and probably, you know, poo-pooed all over it. But I just want to uh, bring something up uh, new bands uh, for that, that were formed this year um, you know I mentioned earlier uh, aborted this is the year that they got formed um, okay. there's a black metal band out there also that uh, I don't think they're active anymore but they, they used to be huge uh, called uh, Borknagar. okay those guys uh, that, that's when the, that band was formed um, and a band another band that I like a lot that uh, well, I used to like a lot on, up until the last couple of albums because I think they, they lost the plot at some point. But Darkest Hour, this is when they were formed. Um, I I absolutely love the the first few Dark Darkest Hour albums, but I don't know some they've had so many member changes now that it's just not the same band anymore. So, which is kind of kind of sucks, but oh well. But uh, yeah, Darkest Hour, uh, their early stuff, check it out because it's really really good stuff.
3: Cool. And this is the reason why we have rock on, to turn us on to all this great music that you may not have heard of previously.
4: And another thing I'd like to bring up real quick, because I know you know, we want to go to 1985, but in another episode, the one you did with your friend uh, the, from the college radio days, you guys were talking about Faith No More, King for a Day. Yes. That is one of my all-time favorite albums, too. And there's nothing extreme about it.
3: Absolutely not. And it's funny that, and I believe we mentioned it during the episode, and this was with uh, Chris Vaglia, um, that I read on a list that they were considered a one-hit wonder. And I was thinking, how in the hell is one of the most influential bands of the 90s (laughs) considered a one-hit wonder? Why? Because you only know the track Epic? (laughs)
4: <laughs> yeah obviously that that person that uh, that uh, that wrote that you know had not heard any of the other albums they just went with what played on the radio basically but right. but that album man it, it's so diverse there's so much good stuff on it it goes from yeah, it's practically extreme in some, you know, some some songs like "Cuckoo for Caca." <laughs> that song is just crazy, you know. But then you've got jazz, you know, with like Star A D. It's 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 got a jazzy feel to it, you know. They've got everything. They covered the whole gamut of music except country on, on that album, you know. And and that's why I love that album so much, man. Ah. Uh, it's to this day. I, it's on my iPod, and it's been on my iPod probably for five years now. <laughs> you know, I just leave it on, and I haven't removed it since I put it on. You know?
3: <laughs> we have to convince Mitch Lafon that they're a headlining band.
4: Yes, yes, for Heavy Montreal. Yes,
3: for Heavy Montreal. That's it. Yeah, I got to see them back in uh, 2010, and I always say this: it was like a religious experience. It was one of the best shows that I've ever seen, and you know, I went in as a doubter but they, they really converted me
4: afterwards. Yeah, so. I've never had the pleasure. And uh, I have plans of going to Heavy Montreal this year. Radioactive Metal is going to try and go cover it if uh, if we're allowed to. And uh, that that's one of the bands that I'm definitely looking forward to.
3: Let me take that again. Let's get into my pick for 95. This is a track that I've always loved from the first moment that I heard it as a drummer. And it is to me, a very difficult, a very physical song to play. Um, And it's the reason why Mickey D is the drummer of Motorhead. This is possibly one of the heaviest Motorhead tracks of all time. And it's funny because a lot of people will say, well, Motorhead's never changed. Uh, Listen to some of these albums that they released in the 90s. They started tuning down, and they really turned up the distortion on a lot of different tracks, and, and they brought Mickey D in for a reason. This track is called Sacrifice and it's coming off of the the album Sacrifice as well. Check it out.
1: What do they not believe? I'm not lighting in this!
3: Just heard there was Motorhead off of 1995's Sacrifice album. Are you a big Motorhead fan, Rock?
4: Not really, not really. Um, I love the song Killed by Death. Okay. <laughs> One of my all-time, all-time favorite songs. I love Ace of Spades. That's pretty much the extent of it. Yeah, you know, that's a. It's just a band I never got into back back in the day.
3: No problem at all.
4: The thing, um, the thing is, you know, that uh, I've noticed when I, when I talk to people like you say, what, you're not a fan of Motorhead? You're not a fan of Led Zeppelin? You're not. The thing is, is that it's you get into bands because of your surroundings, you know? Yeah. Nobody in my surroundings was into Motorhead, you know, and my friends, none of them had older brothers. We we were the older brothers or in my in my case, I had an older sister. She wasn't into heavy metal. She was into disco. So, you know, so I got influenced by her. I love disco, too, by the way. You know, I mean, it's too extreme metal, but I love disco. I love the Bee Gees and ABBA, you know, but that's for another podcast. But, you know, so none of my circle of friends were into into Motorhead and Led Zeppelin and Sabbath even. So I didn't discover right. that stuff until much later. And, you know, by the time, you know, I I, I heard Motorhead, you know, I was like, yeah, no, it's not for me. And I moved on because by that time I was into thrash.
3: Right. So So what did you think of Fozzie's cover of S.O.S.?
4: It's good. It's good. Um, (laughs) Chris Jericho's voice sometimes kind of gets on my nerves (laughs) because I think he tries too hard. But uh, no, I I, I like it. I like it. Uh, There's a few things I would change here and there, but uh, in in general, uh, it's a good song.
3: That song in Waterloo is something that my brother would play to irritate me only because of the fact that he knows that every time he plays either one of those songs I'm humming it or singing it for about a week (laughs) so it's done on purpose
4: Uh, nice
3: yes disco I mean for for as much as people want to knock it I I always say this and people look at me sort of strange you want to check out some decent bass players oh yes disco albums
4: Oh yes, dude. I, I I cut my teeth on the, you're you're the one that I want on bass. <laughs> uh, it's a hard song to play on bass, dude. And I used I used to warm up playing that song.
3: <laughs> you didn't bust out on stage with it, though, did you?
4: No, <laughs> no. But you know, my buddies were like, "What the hell? Don't I'm warming up. Don't worry about it." <laughs> I never told them what it was.
3: Ah, <laughs> uh, that's great. So, all right, so we've done 2015, 2005, 1995, and now we're jumping into a huge, enormous year. Oh, yes. 1985. This is something that I discussed with Scott from Focus on Metal. You look at the list of albums that have been released in each of these years, and 85 is the biggest by far when it comes to hard rock and metal. Mm-hmm and so many influential albums that have come out, so many bands that got together. Um, let's touch upon some of the heavier bands that got together uh, for 95, for 85. 85.
4: <laughs> well, <laughs> for me, uh, definitely Carcass. Carcass okay. Carcass was formed in, in uh, 85, and uh, King Diamond. King Diamond also was formed in, uh, in, in 85, um, white Zombie. White Zombie was pretty heavy when they started up. Yes. And uh, you know they weren't extreme, you know, by any stretch of the word, but they were really damn heavy. So, uh, so that you know, for me, those are the ones that that really uh, that really stand out.
3: Neurosis doesn't stick out to you.
4: Never got into them. Okay. No. Too much stuff out there. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Yeah, and again, there's just so many things that came out this year, and you mentioned King Diamond. King Diamond came out of the ashes of Merciful Fate, which disbanded at that point in time. Uh, let's touch upon some of the heavier releases that came out in '85. Yeah.
4: Now, now what everybody needs to remember in '85, that's when uh, you know it was the height of hair metal at this point, you know, but Thrash was really, really starting to get to grab a hold. You know, because you have like seminal albums, you now by Anthrax spreading the disease. You know that that mm-hmm. came out. Exodus, Bonded by Blood came out. Celtic Frost uh, to Megatherion came out. Um, Exciter put out Long Live the Loud. Like I said, we're doing an al- album autopsy on this. Uh, Living Death, a band that nobody talks about, but Living Death out of G- out of Germany put out an album called Metal Revolution. It is such a great thrash album. You could ah, oh, it's so good. Uh, Megadeth, uh, Killing Is My Business, Possessed, uh, Seven Churches, uh, and Possessed, they're considered by a lot of people, they're considered as the first death metal band, or maybe at least the ones that have actually coined the term death metal because they have a song, the last track on that album, Seven Churches, is called Death Metal. So you know, take it or leave it, You know, historians kind of tend to disagree, but uh, I believe Possessed coined the term. Uh, Slayer, Hell Awaits, that came out. S.O.D. Speak English or Die, you know, that's so good. Uh, Trouble put out their second album called The Skull, which is a great album. Um, and people are gonna say I'm crazy for saying this, but Striper, Soldiers Under Command, that album is. Uh, you take out the those ballads, that al- album is extremely heavy.
2: Uh,
3: that's funny. That's something similar to me. Um, uh, when I discussed with the uh, previous episode of this series uh white lions album fight to survive same deal you take out the ballads and just that schlockiness of some of the tracks mm-hmm. and you've got heavy ass riffs and some some great metal songs unfortunately you know a similar deal with striper is you know a big label got a hold of them and they sent them off on you know to a big producer yeah. and then what they wanted was ballads galore and you know oh we're gonna We'll leave the guitars in the background. Mm-hmm. So,
4: have you ever seen Striper live? I have not actually. I, I've had the chance of seeing him twice uh, since I've been down here in Florida because they play fairly often down here. And live, dude, they are so heavy. It's it's amazing. It's amazing, and they and the, it's so fun to go at one of these shows because the crowd that they attract is every everybody from six years old to sixty years old. You know, <laughs> it's so fun to see the crowd. You know, I I, I love those types of shows. You know, because people are everybody's there for a good time but man it is freaking heavy and michael sweet still has it man the voice he he still has the voice it's crazy do they throw the bibles out uh yes they do yes they do but they're not you know the bibles that they used to throw out back in the day they were actually printed you know the cover was a printed cover that said had the striper logo on it now what they do is they take a regular bible, bible and they they slap a striper sticker on it <laughs> <laughs> and they throw maybe four or five of them. They don't throw like twenty of them like they used to. You know, just maybe four or five of them. And I never caught one. Uh, one got real close to me at some point. Never caught one. The man, I wanted it so bad. Because <laughs> I've been a fan since eighty five. You know, of theirs. So yeah.
3: that is called economics. Uh,
4: yes. <laughs> well, they play the House of Blues now. They don't play the They don't play the uh, L A Forum anymore. You know.
3: <laughs> right. Awesome. So for eighty five. You already mentioned the band that you wanted to select mm-hmm. and uh go ahead and intro the the band and album and track.
4: So from Germany, yes, the band Living Death uh they put out an album called Metal Revolution. That album, uh if you ever get the chance, uh maybe I'll send you the MP threes. The there the, the guitar the, the guitars on there are so chunky and just so that the, the the picking you know everybody says how james hetfield is one of the greatest pickers in the world uh with with his the right hand and uh, these guys will would give give him a run for his money on the picking hand um so i have to pick this song because it's a fast thrash song with a great vocalist who's who's he's, he's got a unique voice you'll hear uh, you know it's it's not for everybody but uh it's it's great stuff and the album is again one of my all-time favorite albums so from germany here's living death with the song killing machine <laughs>
3: 1985's Metal Revolution, that was Killing Machine, that was Rock's choice for 85. Again, this is the reason why we have Rock on, to bring (laughs) us his uh, spin on things, give us something different, and get you guys turned on to something different that you may have not heard of in the past, or again, if you maybe have heard the track in the past, but after. Rock's uh, intro there, maybe you go out and you, you check the album out. So um, for 85, my um, my pick is a little more obvious. Uh, a band that, that I've always enjoyed, um, regardless whether their lead singer is now best buddies with uh, Michael Sweet or not um uh, maybe he's dipping in a little bit too much into the holy water with some of his uh comments uh it may actually be bong water instead but um um <laughs> su- su- surprised the hell out of me this this past week when i read these comments and again we're recording this on the 2nd of february <laughs> and uh the comments are fans did not want Sean Drover and Chris Broderick in Megadeth <laughs> just surprised the ever living shit out of me because I was thinking neither one of those guys had a chance to write anything for the for the band uh, yeah. nonetheless you know they they're yeah i mean there's always going to be people that say oh well, we want Marty and we want Nick Menza and we want you know Chris Pollin, and unfortunately they can't bring Garth Samuelson back. But man, oh man, uh, Dave Mustaine and the word "filter" do not go along.
4: I mean, so Dave Mustaine is a case of open mouth, stick foot in.
3: <laughs> um, Diarrhea of the mouth. I mean, yep. please. I mean, Chris Broderick is arguably either the most talented or the second most talented guitarist he's ever played with. Mm-hmm. And the guy is just amazing. And again, he's a hired gun being told what to do. And and I mean, the, the proof is going to be in the pudding when they put out this new band and we see what Sean and what um, Chris can actually do when they write their own material. I mean, it isn't always easy. A lot of times... You know, people point out and say, "Oh, well, they shouldn't have gotten rid of so and so." But when so and so does their own solo stuff, it's horrible. You know, they still need to be behind someone else, sort of directing them. Yeah. So, so we'll see what what things um, what we have in store uh, with those guys. And if you were to gather at this point in time, so early off in the year, and I'm sure by the time this comes out, who knows? We may even know who is in Megadeth. Um who do you think the the new guitarist and drummer are gonna be?
4: Oh goodness. We we, we did a whole fifteen minutes on this <laughs> with our one of our episodes. Uh gosh, you know, there's so many talented players out there. For you know, for a drummer we were uh, thinking, oh my god, you you caught me off guard. <laughs> I try to remember the uh, we, we got really silly with it though. Um I would see uh, like Peter Chris and Ace Fraley. <laughs> no. <laughs> don't choke! Don't choke. <laughs> hack. Somehow, I don't think uh, I don't think Ace could take direction, and Peter just couldn't hack it. <laughs> but we were debating also maybe Phil Rudd, you yeah, know, maybe a good chance, a good choice. You know, if,
3: if if they didn't like his decisions on what fills the player where, he could you know. Off them or or whatever you know who knows,
4: <laughs> but you know if uh, you know I don't know yeah you know, it's funny because you know everybody says oh Nick Menza Nick Menza, but I remember years ago saying Mustang said oh Nick Nick, Nick Menza is not in the band anymore because he couldn't play anymore, yeah and, and now suddenly but, he's in he's in contention,
3: it's a very physical. Uh, spot you know to play holy wars and and you know a lot of people say oh well that's easy you know i can play it sure you can play it when you're in your in your basement or, or whatever when you're knocking the song out you know once every so often but mm-hmm. it, that's mm-hmm. not the same as you know touring for a year and a half straight and playing that song every single night right. i mean that,
4: that and the other uh, 16 other songs that they're playing you know yeah. yeah, so but uh, um, I would see Dave Dave Lombardo seriously. Dave Lombardo, I think would would be would do a good job.
3: I mean, I I honestly think at this point in time it's gonna be someone that's somewhat known. I mean, uh, honestly, I think if we're talking about drummers, I think two of these are pretty likely, and one is probably not likely at all um, due to the fact that he's in an existing touring band at the moment. Um, to me, the, the the three people that are possible to slot in there, uh, you've either got Vinny Paul, um, you you've got um, Joey Jordanson.
4: Yes, that's a, he's another one that we mentioned. Yes,
3: I mean he's sure he's got his own band out there, but it doesn't have the same sort of you know uh, clout behind it, and, and he's. Uh, You know he's he's played with Corn. He's played with Rob Zombie, so it isn't that far fetched that he could um, he could jump in there. And and the other one, I think you mentioned Lombardo. Mm -hmm. I I mean, and Lombardo's already said, "Hey, I'll do
4: it." Yep, exactly. So it's going to be interesting, man. But you know, whoever they announce, you know that people half the people are going to poo poo it. The other half are going to go, "Yay!" So. You
3: know. For guitarists, I think it's a, it's a lot more difficult because you have so many people out there.
4: Yeah.
3: That and and the other thing too is for a guitarist, they have to take direction from Dave. I mean, I think that's so obvious.
2: Yeah.
3: Um, uh, I think money come you know always is factored into all this as well because if you think about it, when Glenn Drover came in, well, actually when all of these guys came into the band, they're they're for the most part they're all unknowns. Correct. If you really look at it. Marty was a known commodity, but was Marty on the level of you know one of the greatest metal guitarists until he played on Rust in Peace? Not really, no. You know that's that's the thing. Sure, for for the underground shredders and and whatnot, people knew who he was, of course. But Megadeth is what really took him to the promised land per se. Um, the interesting thing with Marty. And uh, Mark Striegel interviewed him for Talking Metal, and Marty pretty much said, you know, yeah, I'm aware that there's an opening, but just because there's there's an opening in the band doesn't mean that I'm interested.
2: Yeah, <laughs> there you so. go.
3: So I, I, I thought that that was pretty clear and cut and dry with his response, mm-hmm. and he also goes on to allude to the fact that, you know, he's more than just a metal guitarist, and he doesn't want to be confined into just playing Megadeth, you know, for a year and change, you know, I'm sure if it was for something short or whatnot, you know, for, for a, who knows, if they were to do another big four or something like that, which I highly doubt, but, you know, if something like that were to come along, who knows, maybe he would throw his, you know, his hat in the ring if if it's only for 30 some odd dates, mm-hmm. It's not you know.
4: I, don't know. I think what's going to happen with that is that they're gonna they, they're gonna use somebody that's fairly unknown, you know, because there's so yeah. many guitar players out there. I mean, they this, you know. And they,
3: like I said it comes down to money. You look at all these big bands that bring in guitarists. Judas Priest did it. They've mm-hmm. always, uh, they usually bring in unknowns. When when Adrian Smith left Iron Maiden, they brought Yannick Garrison. They didn't bring Gary Moore into the band. Yeah. You know. It wasn't one of those things where okay, uh, we're gonna bring someone in where we're gonna have to give them twenty five percent of the pie here. No, no, no. we're gonna bring someone in who will have no issue with taking ten percent.
4: Yeah, yeah. You know they may they may decide to go with a, a name drummer, you know who they're gonna have to pay a little bit more. So, but if they do that, I I'm willing to bet they'll go with an unknown guitarist.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I I, I agree with that. So, um, anyway. My track for 1985, Dave used to intro it this way until he uh, sort of got uh, – made, made peace with um, with the Metallica camp. But he used to say, uh, this is how they play it, and this is how we play it. <laughs> <laughs> this, it's the mechanics coming off of uh, Killing is My Business and Business is Good, uh, this is the – Track that he will forever say that Metallica ripped off, which became the Four Horsemen, and um, you can all delve into that history. <laughs> We've already talked enough Megadeth, um, but anyway, here we go with the little Megadeth and the Mechanics. <laughs> 1985's Megadeth and the uh, Mechanics. That's definitely for people. And this is something that always kills me. You have these younger folks that the younger metal fans that tell, oh, well, you know, this band is isn't metal. Or that band isn't metal. Well, back when you know Metallica was forming and and all these people were forming, UFO was a heavy band. Yeah. So. Um, that then the title of that track is directly lifted from a UFO album. <laughs> so There you go. There you go. And so many people will still you got the Amat Brothers and so many other heavier you know bands that um that still profess that Michael shanker's their biggest influence. So Um anyway, back to 1975. 1975 is the shortest list of albums, obviously, mm-hmm. because so many bands were first, you know, getting together. So many, I mean, if you look at every one of the bands that got together that I've listed here, they're all, for the, for the most part, they're either hugely known or you've at least heard them in passing, I would imagine. I mean, bands like Angel, Iron Maiden, Legs Diamond, Motorhead, Ted Nugent, Quiet Riot, Rainbow... The Runaways, Stars, and Triumph. Mm -hmm.
4: All, all, yeah, Triumph. I love Triumph. (laughs) Awesome band.
3: Triumph, another band from, they're actually from Ontario, aren't they? Yeah, I think
4: they're from Toronto, yes. But, uh, you know, living in Canada, when uh, we had much music, which was the equivalent of MTV in the States, uh, Triumph was very prominent uh, on that channel. So, we we got a lot of their... uh, a lot of their music is uh, just uh, seared into my brain. <laughs>
3: <laughs> is it one of those things where um, if you never hear the, uh, a Triumph song again, you, you're all right with that, or it's seared into your brain, but you still enjoy listening to it?
4: One song. One song uh, i kind of sick of, and it's Somebody's Out There. I don't know if you remember that one uh, off of Thunder 7. It was like their really poppy song with a lot of keyboards, and that one they Played way too much. That one, I would. I don't care if I ever hear it again. But the rest, no, it's all classic stuff, really. I, uh,
3: I am thankful that I do not remember that song. I mean, <laughs> my Extent is, I mean, the typical stuff you hear on, you know, classic rock radio in the States, Follow Your Heart, um, Jesus. You, do you know I,
4: uh, Rock and Roll Machine?
3: Rock and Roll Machine I've heard, but I, it's not one of those that I can, like, sort of – you know dial up when when i hear the um you know the title like i hear fight the good fight and all of a sudden you know i start to hear the acoustic with the electric guitar and and all that in my head so i mean i know it as well yeah Yeah. i mean a, a band that was i mean enormous in the early 80s and it makes you think if they were to have stuck together how big the band may, may have been because, I mean, they were up there. They played the US Festival. They were the only band smart enough to um, to license their own material from the US Festival. You know, everyone else that played, a lot of people, you know, have said, have talked about you know, Judas Priest and Van Halen playing and Quiet Ride and, and Motley Crue and, and their clips on YouTube and everything else. But Triumph actually released it as an album, as a DVD, because they had the rights to, to do so. The only band smart enough
4: to do it. Yep, they, re- they were able to retain the rights. They negotiated that, and while well, nobody else even thought of it, because everybody said, well, it's a festival, who cares? You know? Yeah. But you know, it was one of the biggest festivals ever, uh, ever. You know, So they're lost, I guess. But uh, you know, Judas Priest, I guess, was able to uh, negotiate something because uh, they, they put that out on, on DVD recently. Uh, Again
3: yeah, Quiet Riot also released it on um, uh, on CD. I mean, it is it's it's the bootleg quality. It's it's what you're seeing on YouTube, which is a shame. You know that yeah. also there wasn't more foresight to actually record it like something like Live Aid uh, was recorded at the time. Um, it's unfortunate that the U.S. festival wasn't recorded in the same manner. Mm-hmm. But um, now you have the flip side. I think when the European concert series starts up. You get all these um, uh, all these various festivals that are shown on national TV, and they all make their way onto the internet. So you can either download them or see them on YouTube or, or whatnot. But every year, Rock and Ring or um, or Sweden Rock or um, even with download, I mean, it isn't the full download, but there are enough specials that get out there with the British. Um, music channels that you do get to see, you know, maybe a track or two by each each of the band, each of the bigger bands playing, because download is just so huge. You don't get to see absolutely everything. Mm-hmm. So let's see here, 1975. We talked about the bands that got together. No bands of of, of worth um, for us mentioning that disbanded. I mean, we can't really say Wicked Lester or anything like that. Because- <laughs> You know, years earlier and um, so many bands that, um, you know, really laid the groundwork down for people for, yeah. for metal and hard rock. I mean, Alice Cooper, Rush, Zeppelin, Kiss, Aerosmith, Bad Company, Uriah Heap, Rainbow, Black Sabbath, UFO, Budgie, Thin Lizzy, Ted Nugent, Scorpions. Purple, Queen, and, and ACDC all had releases. Some of these bands had multiple releases that same year, mm-hmm. still when uh, labels believed in bands but at the same time said, well, your last album didn't sell all that great. We'll give you eight months to release another one.
4: <laughs> <laughs> no pressure.
3: No pressure, yeah. <laughs> Just do, do what you will with that. Yeah. So, um, Your pick, this is the, the first live track that is going to be featured during the series um, you decided to pick something off of kiss alive and tell me why uh you went with this album
4: well you know gosh for the same reason that it's such a, an influence on so many people you know our age it's just a great freaking album you know uh it's like it's it was it was a kiss's greatest hits a live greatest hits at that point you know, and that's the album that opened the floodgates. Now, for me, I got into Kiss in '79. I was turning I was turning 10 years old that year. So, you know, the, my, my first album I got was uh, was Dynasty, and then okay. it, you know, then my sister got me. No, I'm sorry, it was Destroyer. My sister got me Destroyer for my birthday, and then I got a Life too, and then you know, got a few things, and then I finally I I got dressed to uh, I'm sorry, Alive. And the, you know, I was just mesmerized by it. You know, the the, the bombs and all the, all the stuff going on, and and Paul talking to the crowd in between it's like, my God, is it is a concert really like that? You know, you're 10 years old, you know nothing. You know, right? So <laughs> it, it was like it was my first live experience, and I just fell in love with that album. You know, and to me, you know, the song I picked was "Let Me Go Rock and Roll," and because to me, I, I was debating between that one and "A Hundred Thousand Years." but I did not pick 100,000 years because it has that long drum drum solo in the middle so I I figured I wouldn't bore everybody with the drum solo so but for the same reason I picked let me go rock and roll I could have picked 100,000 years is for the guitar solos ace's solos on these two songs are are amazing you know he was he was uh, at his peak at that at that point to me for me you know, and it's it's just mesmerizing stuff. And let me go rock and roll, such an upbeat song that I remember as a kid listening to it. Every time I, I would listen to it, you know, I'd get so excited, I'd jump around and pretend I was, you know, air guitar and and playing air drums and and you know, just loving loving that song and and uh, humming the solos. And if I had friends come over, and say, oh yeah, gotta, gotta listen to Kiss Alive, gotta listen to Kiss Alive, and to the point where I was annoying about it, yeah. <laughs> So, <laughs> so yeah, so to me, you know, let me go rock and roll. It it, it sums up everything that Ace Frehley is, because Ace for, Ace is my favorite in KISS. Um, although I, when I, at that age, Gene was my, my, my favorite when I was uh, 9, 10 years old, because he was the demon, you know. And then, you know, then I went to Peter Criss because he was the cat, and that was cool, and he played drums, and I wanted to play drums. And then I kind of got out of KISS, and I got back into KISS around... Um, uh, well, Hot in the Shade. You know? I, I always followed what KISS was doing, but to a point where I never bought uh, well, Crazy Nights. I never bought it until it came out on CD. You know? uh, the reissue uh, in '95. that's when I first bought. Uh, uh... I still don't have it Oh, there you go. It's, you should, don't get it if you don't want it. <laughs> uh,
3: but... Yeah. That, that I've always refused to purchase by them. Yeah,
4: yeah, I refused to uh, up until the reissues. I was like, oh, okay, I gotta buy it at this point. <laughs> you know, but uh, yeah, that song. Uh, you know, it, Paul was never my favorite. I don't know why I never got into Paul that much. I love him as a vocalist. He's great to watch live, but he's never been my favorite. Yeah, but Ace, right. Ace, to me, just watching him play the guitar solos. You know, maybe not so much today, but back in those days, he was he was my hero. You know, so. So, uh, yeah, that's why uh, Let Me Go Rock and Roll, to me, is the, the ultimate Kiss song.
3: All right, so let's check it out. A Little Kiss with Let Me Go Rock and Roll, coming off of 1975's Alive. Rock and roll! We had a little kiss, really setting the trend. This is something that we also talked to uh, Scott about from Focus on Metal. Um, How the live album really took form uh during the decade of the 70s. And it's really been the only decade where it's really been a huge seller per se. I mean, you look at Alive, you look at even Alive 2, you look at... um uh, Frampton comes alive. Yeah. You look at Cheap Trick's live at Budokan, um, Ted Nugent's uh, Weekend Gonzo's, I believe it was called. Um, so I mean, there's there's so many live albums that were just huge during that decade, and it never ever happened again. That's why I think live albums have been such a hard sell mm-hmm. for bands mm-hmm. and for labels. Um, you see so many so, so many labels steer away from it but yet you also see uh artists like Ozzy for example that just re- release the same songs over and over again i'd almost prefer them to release an ep with the songs that vary for that tour <laughs> mm-hmm. as opposed to just you know releasing the 85th version of crazy train
4: yeah yeah it's sad it's sad when they, you know that that's what's hap- happening you know is. We need some variety, but you know a lot of these bands are set in their ways. You know, they, they, this is the set list they play, and every year they change a couple songs, and that's it. Yeah, so of course the live albums are going to reflect that.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, for seventy five, uh, it's interesting. It's a band that you mentioned before, and a band uh, again. I picked two bands that you have never gotten into from based on what you yeah. said. Yeah. Um, this is a band that Gene Hoagland told me. When he was growing up, you were either a kiss fan or you were a, or you were a fan of this band and he said that the reason that he gravitated towards kiss was because with this band, you had too many um snooty people per se <laughs> that that were into them, and they felt that they were more intellectual than kiss fans for example uh the band is Led zeppelin and Um, Led Zeppelin is a band I was lucky enough to have an older brother who's roughly around your age Mm -hmm. uh, who was able to pass KISS on to me and Led Zeppelin and ACDC and all these bands. Um, So I still remember him coming home from the record store with physical graffiti and just seeing it and, and being scared of breaking it and... (laughs) and actually he probably wouldn't have let me fuss around with it too much either just in case I would break it but um, just an amazing piece of artwork how it was all put together definitely something that influenced a band like Tool years later with their packaging with everything Um, but uh, this is a track that I've always really dug I mean for Led Zeppelin I mean they're on the radio so often that as much as i love the band it's similar to what i'd asked about triumph before there are certain songs of theirs that if i never hear them again i would have absolutely no problem with it mm-hmm. because i just heard them so much yeah. that i just can't take anymore
4: <laughs> yeah yeah no I, I totally agree totally agree that zeppelin has played way too much just like uh, guns and roses too
3: <laughs> with our um, Appetite for Destruction um, album, or focus on that album, I should say, mm-hmm. uh, you were you were very vocal with that, with your displeasure for Guns and Roses.
4: <laughs> yeah, I'm just uh, I, I I love Appetite for Destruction. I can't stand the other albums after that. <laughs> Too big for their own britches.
3: There you go. Uh, Anyway, before we head on off, um, let's remind people where they can check out Radioactive Metal. Uh, It is RadioactiveMetal.org. You can also subscribe via Stitcher, via iTunes, via um, Spreaker. Tune in. And am I missing anything there,
4: Rock? Uh, So far, that's everything. And uh, we're live every uh, Thursday night on PureRockRadio.net
3: okay and as far as social media is concerned where should people go should they go to Facebook should they go to Twitter
4: uh, we're on both on Facebook and Twitter so uh, Facebook is uh, facebook.com slash rad metal and Twitter is twitter.com slash rad metal 666 because rad metal was already taken so yeah but that's where you can uh, you can follow us uh, you know if you want your your daily dose or your semi you know, every other day dose of radioactive metal. <laughs> Awesome.
3: And for those that want to check out, maybe if if they're from Radioactive Metal and want to check out a little bit more of Mars Attacks, uh, just go to marsattacksradio.com. You'll find links to um, the Facebook, the Twitter, uh, the G+, and and everything else. Uh, You can follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker as well. And you can also follow us by subscribing to the Talking Metal digital feed right there on iTunes. So, um, want to thank rock for coming on board once again. And it's always fun to talk to rock.
4: Yes. It's always a, it's always a pleasure to talk to you, uh, Victor. It's always fun. It's it's always fun. We, we,
3: we, we said that we were going to try to limit it to less than an hour. <laughs> we're already doing it over an hour and a half. Yeah. Look at that. So, <laughs> look at that. So anyway, a little Led Zeppelin here to end today's episode thanks again for listening and come on back to come on back and check out another episode of mars attacks and remember to go check out rock on radioactive metal as well see you
2: To the Mars Attacks Podcast, this concludes our show.